Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 259. And uh, today's episode is just a conversation with one person. Originally, I had planned for this to be a small part of a larger episode, but the conversation went long. I allowed it to happen. I just leaned into it. It was so good for me, and I, I really enjoyed it. So my guest today is Brett Coleman, and I'm sure you know him from YouTube. He's got the, the film room on YouTube. I love his content, and he's now got a, a football podcast called the Bootleg Football Podcast, uh, but I'm just a big fan of him. I love the way he carries himself. I love his content. I also love him as a person. He's a really good dude you know, behind the scenes. And uh, I just loved getting to talk to him. He's a fellow football nerd. I thought we had a great conversation. And so please enjoy my conversation with Brett Coleman. All right. Um, I think the first thing I'd like to jump into is Patrick Mahomes. When you first heard about that contract, what was your first reaction? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I mean, the first thing I saw was a 10-year deal, which kind of blew my mind a little bit because there's only been, I don't know, five of those ever. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, it, for this to be fair at all to Mahomes, it has to be an ungodly amount of money um, to help kind of offset cap increases. Like he, he'll have to be paid so much more than every other quarterback today, mm, yeah. so that at least the deal looks somewhat decent in four or five years for him. Yeah. Uh, and in the end, I still think he's going to end up being underpaid. That's the thing. Yeah. We got to yeah, look ahead. And, because in five years, you know, forty-five million is going to be the standard, and then he's got five more years after that at the same amount. So I, I think, I, I think he's going to be underpaid no matter what, and I think he knows that. And so I think he's also kind of taking a Tom Brady approach of like, look, he's he's already been MVP, he's already got a Super Bowl, he got a half billion dollar contract, he's getting a bunch of endorsements. I don't think. Um, it's his goal to be the highest paid athlete ever, but I think he knows that because of his early career success, he's got a shot at, I mean, if, if there was anybody that was ever, ever going to challenge Brady, you know, by the end of his career to be the best quarterback ever, I think Pat knows he, he can do it, but he also needs to uh, be a little bit generous to his team and give them as much flexibility as possible. So mm. it's a very flexible as much money as it is, it's still a team-friendly contract, and so I think he is gearing up for a a decade-long run, very similar to what the Patriots had, where you know he won't be the highest-paid guy in a lot of years by the end of this deal. Um, but all that money is going to go to other players, and I think he he really wants to to win as many Super Bowls as possible, and this deal is going to help the Chiefs do that. You know, one of my my dad tells me all the time he really. He, he really taught me vision. I'm really grateful for that. I think a lot of people are struggling with vision to see, okay, in the future, it sounds like it's going to be a bargain moving forward. And it sounds like Patrick Mahomes does have vision. He sees where the future is going to be in 10 years, five years, six years, and he wants to push it. Brady, I really like that. Actually, and You're not hearing that from very many people saying this could actually be a bargain in the long run. Oh, it's 100% going to be a bargain. I mean, it's already a bargain day one. You know, imagine what it's going to look like in year five or six. Yeah. Um. I'm I'm about to dive into Cam Newton film. I know you just did a video. Uh, what is there anything you think I should look for in that film? Was there anything that stood out to you that you want to share? I want people to watch your video. It's great. I got to watch it on my own and see what I think too. Was there anything you can kind of any insight you can give there? Watch when he's in empty 
um, mm. or really when he's in any kind of formations where it's not super condensed, where it's very spread out. Um, and you see him scanning and looking for matchups and, you know, using motion checks and, and doing a lot of the stuff that, honestly, you see Tom Brady do. Yeah. Um, and he's so much better in the quick game and the intermediate game than, than as a deep ball thrower. He only was, like, top 10 in accuracy in deep balls two years out of his career. One of them was 2012 when he still had prime Steve Smith, and the other is 2015 when he went Super Saiyan and led him to the Super Bowl with nobody. So, uh, but other than that, he wasn't really a consistent deep ball thrower for most of his career, and doubly so when under pressure. He's really um, a hyper athletic, quick game quarterback, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, he'll he'll give yeah. you extra numbers in the run game. Uh, he'll slice and dice you up. Like he's very good at utilizing Christian McCaffrey, which I think you know bodes well for how he's going to use James White. Like he he mentally mm. he plays a lot like Tom Brady, mm. even though his physical skills are obviously far superior that's cool i really like that and i think similar to patrick mahomes the, the deal is incredible what they got what a million one with some incentives that's a crazy bargain to get cam newton if he's healthy at that price right and, and i think it's it's very much a deal where cam's like look i'm gonna take a dirt cheap contract to prove that i still got it because mm. he has faith that he can beat out Jarrett Sidham not just this year, but every year going forward. And he's like, look, I'm going to make you guys pay later, but I'm going to, I'm going to make you relevant again now that Tom's left and mm -hmm. prove that the organization can succeed without him. And then you can pay me later, but, but Cam's competitive. And I think he's willing to take a dirt cheap contract this year um, to get future earnings later. It's almost like the exact opposite of Pat Mahomes where <laughs> Mahomes is, you know, taking less money over 10 years like cam's taking way 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 less money now because he knows that he, he's good enough that he can recoup that value later do you believe the patriots would pay him next year or do you think he'll have to go somewhere else to get the money he wants like if he let's it, say he kills it wins comeback player of the year do they pay him solely depends on how much they like jared's did him mm. if they don't because obviously if cam's healthy they're going to be a good enough team they're not going to have a high pick they have no shot at lawrence yeah. they have no shot at fields they probably don't even have a shot at the uh, North Dakota State kid. Um, so, you know, if they're at best getting like QB4 in that class, if they don't have a lot of confidence in Stidham, then yeah, they have to pay Cam. Mm. You know, because yeah. at the end of the day, like again, Jared Stidham went in the fourth round for a reason. Like we all like to say like, oh, he's a Patriot. So naturally he's just going to be a better football player than what he is. That doesn't work out all the time. Look at Ryan. Mallett. So he never yeah, developed. You know, look at Ryan Mallett, like Jimmy G and Tom Brady were the anomalies out of a lot of quarterbacks that they drafted. <laughs> yeah. You know, like Jacoby Brissett was OK. Uh, but even then, like he's not starting an Indy this year for a reason. Like yeah. it, it, just because you're a Patriot and you were drafted in the late rounds doesn't automatically mean you're going to be good. And I think they realize that, too. So if they don't have a whole lot of confidence in Jared Stidham and Cam is their only option to be a good football team, yeah, they have to pay him. Did you think it was insulting when people would kind of say the Patriots are tanking or going to go like the tank for Trevor? I was like, what are you talking about? This is Bill Belichick. He's not going to tank. And even if Stidham was only an average at best quarterback, their defense was so good and their coaching staff was so good, they were never going to be. Uh, a, a big enough dumpster fire to get one of those quarterbacks ever yeah. like th that was not a possibility um i want to jump into my dad's a food writer and he would probably kill me if i didn't ask you about this he loves your instagram stories i do too i see stuff that you put out there not football stuff other stuff about your life and it's cool to follow you you love making drinks where did that love come from um a, a lot of it just came from 
a I'm, I'm a whiskey lover but i i wanted mm-hmm. to find uh new ways to kind of enjoy that whiskey other than just drinking it neat all the time um and like you know i always loved you know whiskey coke was like my go-to drink me too uh, yeah you know and, and but i wanted to kind of spice that up and, and find new ways and so then you you get into old fashions, you get into you know Sazeracs, you get into Manhattans, you get into all mm. these different kind of cocktails that kind of give new ways to appreciate spirits that you normally just love to drink neat. Uh, and then I, I discovered these other channels on YouTube, you know, Educated Barfly, <laughs> How to Drink, that are making these crazy cocktails. And I was like, oh, okay, like that looks really interesting. And I started you know making trips to Bevmo and buying all these ingredients and. <laughs> You know, now all of a sudden I'm finding myself making cocktails with like frozen coffee ice cubes and black walnut bitters. And it's just it's just a nice, fun hobby that helps me appreciate something that I already loved in the first place, which was uh, whiskey and tequila and all that good stuff. I love when you put on your Instagram story like a a, it's like instructions how to make a drink. I've actually screenshotted a bunch of them. I've got them saved up. I want to make the drinks you make because they look so good and it's so cool. Yeah, that mezcal margarita. Highly recommend it. Yeah, I had a, I had a mezcal in Montana. I got recognized for like one of the first times in a while. Some guy goes, "Are you are you Zach Chalmers?" Was the bartender and made an incredible mezcal drink. It was so cool. Uh, Ethan was a fan of the show. I loved him. I want to ask you about the Bootleg Podcast. Where did that name come from? I actually listened to it for the first time yesterday. I've been meaning to. I finally got to it yesterday. I like the EJs from the Northwest. That's pretty cool. I like that. Where did the name come from? Uh, promote that. I mean, I really want people to listen to it. It's really high quality. And I, I'm a big fan of it. You know, we were just kind of trying to think of names like, okay, what are the two things we love most? And it's drinking and football. And uh, <laughs> bootleg just happened to be the one word in the English language that we felt fit both of those pretty well. Mm-hmm. So uh, it luckily worked out. And um, people have been very positively responding to the show. People love it a lot. I, I We we don't put out episodes um, as disciplined as you do. We really got to get better at, you know, having set release days as, you know, as a podcaster yourself, you know that, but um, every episode that we do put out when we get them out on time, uh, people really enjoy and and we hope we can kind of keep growing it. You know, I'll say I actually don't have a schedule though. I make stuff when I can and put it out when I can. I think what you guys do is you make high quality stuff, even if it's every week and a half instead of every week or whatever it is. It's I, I've looked at I haven't look I haven't watched uh, listened to everything you have but the names of it the descriptions of everything I'm like wow this is really detailed in depth content and I think sometimes if you put a schedule on it it can actually hurt the art I know that's like a weird answer most people say get a schedule stick to it but if you find a rhythm that works for you and people are listening and I think it's I, it sounds really great maybe don't worry my my thought don't be married to that schedule if you're making great content if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I kind of developed a reputation for whenever I say I'm releasing a film room episode, you can tack on two days to that because I'm always late. But, yeah. you know, you'll you'll find a rabbit hole in film that you're diving down. Next thing you know, it's three in the morning. You were supposed to release at nine and you haven't even finished a script yet. So it, it happens. Dude, but. <laughs> you don't get credit. You're so prolific. I, I can't keep up with you. I, I wish I could do a film video every every week. I just can't. It's just impossible for me because I'm doing other stuff and I can't even fathom being and doing what you do. It's so impressive to me. Like you got a Cam Newton video out like four days after you signed. I was like, how did Brett do this? I was so impressed. Luckily, I had a whole lot of Cam Newton notes saved up to begin mm. with. I just I didn't know where he was going to sign. Yeah. And then as soon as he signed with New England, I was like, well, this episode writes itself. He already <laughs> plays like Tom Brady. That's awesome. I love that. That's so cool. Um, I got a question for you. I talk about uh, occasionally I mention the word elite with the quarterback uh, position. I actually got inspired by a video you made about Dak Prescott where you mentioned 
I you put it to words way better than I ever could talking about how there's these couple guys you pay them thirty million or more a year and that's a better like who would I pay you said like Deshaun Watson I believe Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson where do, how do you define elite with the quarterback position? Ooh, um, how do I define elite? I'll give you, for me, I always say it's people that can win with less. Guys like, one of the things that really impresses me about Sean Watson is his ability to win despite a bad offensive line at times. Or Russell Wilson elevating an average roster in Seattle. I, even on your podcast, the Bootleg Podcast, you and EJ were like, would we take the Chiefs roster or the Seahawks roster? Pretty much, as you go down the line, everything the Chiefs have in favor of the Seahawks, and that makes Russell more impressive to me. He can overcome bad. Um, and I say it's really, it's kind of those top three or four. Sometimes it's five guys in the NFL is there a way, and you might not have it, is there a way you define elite? Yeah, and I, and there's there's a few different ways that you can. Um, mm-hmm. I think in terms of what differentiates great quarterbacks from good quarterbacks, it's being able to make plays out of nothing mm-hmm. um, and kind of elevate their coaching staff when their coaches you know, make a bad play call or even when the defensive coordinator on the other team makes a great play call and the quarterback still makes it work. You know, He makes his guys right. Um that I think is what makes an elite quarterback. I think it's the ability to compensate for less talent around the roster, even if they're making an absolute metric ton of money like Russell Wilson. You know, you give him a receiver like uh, a receiver that maybe wasn't heralded coming out like Doug Baldwin or, you know, that people weren't super sure on like DK Metcalf, but he still makes them produce at high levels. Um and, and really elevate a franchise far above the sum of its parts. Like that's an elite quarterback that again, no matter how much he's making and no matter how much money he siphons away from other positions, it's still worth it. There's maybe, maybe four of them in, mm. in the league, you know, between Mahomes, obviously Russell. Um, I would put Wentz in that category when you see the garbage cans that he dragged at the playoffs last year. <laughs> yeah. uh, Deshaun Watson, I think is one of them. And he even has to overcome his coaching staff more than a lot oh, of other guys. Uh, yeah. Even Lamar, I think uh, when you look at his growth from year one to year two and where I think he's going to be in year three, I think he's going to be that kind of guy too. So, Have you seen Lamar's you know, mechanics this offseason? I'm so sorry to oh, cut you off. He looks way the, better. It's every year, every week even, from, from week to week, You know, he's, he's improving. Like He and Deshaun from where they were at Clemson and Louisville respectively to where they are now. Mm. um, I don't remember seeing two young quarterbacks grow that fast. Like Deshaun, even in his rookie preseason compared to, you know, four weeks into the year when he's going toe to toe with Russell up in Seattle, uh, they were two different quarterbacks and Lamar from year two to year one, two different quarterbacks. So their accelerated rate of growth and obviously Mahomes too, the accelerated rate of growth is highly abnormal and Mm. I I think that's why we look at them as either elite now or definitely will be elite quarterbacks in the next year or so just because they get better faster (laughs) than everybody else and we have not seen the end of their development you had a great line in the bootleg football podcast you said that I believe in the first 12 starts Patrick Mahomes reached Aaron Rodgers and by his first 20 starts he'd surpassed Aaron Rodgers so the rate of progression was just so impressive to you it sounds like yeah, I mean, you you remember watching Pat at Texas Tech? Oh my gosh, yeah. It's it's not the same guy. Like no. we all like to pretend that people missed on Pat Mahomes, and it's like if Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech was what was the Pat Mahomes now, it, it's it wouldn't be the same situation. He wouldn't be making fifty million a year. Like that that was yeah. not a great quarterback 
No. Uh, he made a lot of flashy plays, but then when he got to Kansas City, he developed under Andy Reid. Um, you know, even Mahomes admitted himself, like he didn't really know how to read defenses until like halfway through last season. You know, so it's he he is growing so much faster than everybody could have ever predicted, except for maybe the Chiefs themselves. You know, based on the interviews they had with him pre-draft, which obviously I didn't interview him pre-draft, um, yeah. but he is mentally such a different quarterback. And I I have said it multiple times. I did not give him the credit that he deserved for how fast he could develop mentally, and so that he's not just winging it all the time, and he's actually playing the position. So mm. he's a different quarterback now than he was at Texas Tech. So, you know, I stand by my evaluation of him in college because that's what he was. Yeah. You know, he, he's not the same guy now. And and I all the credit in the world for, for Pat for growing, for Andy for developing him, for surrounding him with the right talent and the right system and everything like that. Like, they, they have created a monster uh, <laughs> out of clay. And it was one that I did not expect to see. It's really frustrating sometimes. And maybe I try to listen to the fans, like to people that watch the show that are mad at me as little as I can. But when you watch a player and you see one thing and then they grow and you're happy for the player, like, oh, I'm so glad they changed as a player. Oh, but now my my film was right two years ago, but now it's not quite right now. And so it's, it can be frustrating. You're like, stop judging me based on what I said when a player was something else, I guess, because people forget that players can grow and change. It's a little gripe yeah. I have. I'm like, ah, absolutely. I mean, Lamar's Lamar's another one. He was not the same thing at Louisville. No. And, and pretending that he was uh, is, is just not accurate. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? I, I think my biggest gaffe and my biggest, like, my historically wrong moment was when I compared DK Metcalf to an unbaked cookie. I said he was going to be a bust. I wasn't that into him. And I didn't say he was a bust. I said he was not ready for the NFL. I said he's going to be, he's got some limitations that I see route running ability. All my friends that play receiver at the D1 level were like, yeah, he's good, but. And you came out, you called it, you said he's going to be great. How much of it, like, how much was I wrong? And how much did he fall into the right system and do some things right and what did you see in college that you went yeah DK Metcalf's gonna work because you it's funny to look back like you make me look like an idiot in your video and I'm like yeah he's not quite right and you're like he's the next big thing and then he had a great rookie year Uh, you know again it's one of those things you fall into the right place uh Mm. just like Mahomes in Kansas City would be different than Mahomes under John Fox in Chicago Mm. DK Metcalf uh in New England might have been different than DK Metcalf in Seattle uh, or DK Metcalf in really any offensive system that would try to make him into something he's not would be different than what he is in Seattle. Yeah. In, in Ole Miss, you know, I, I said in that episode, like his route tree is three routes. Yep. But he's so big and he's so <laughs> fast and so physical that that's kind of all he needs. He just needs to go to an offense that will let him run those three routes and then have his quarterback take advantage of that. Luckily, he landed with Russell Wilson, who's one of those elite quarterbacks that knows how to use a receiver like this. And they're using him on slants, posts, and goes. Yep. That's that's what he is. But if you're really good at that, guess what? So was Calvin Johnson. And that's how Detroit <laughs> used him. So yeah. it, it just it depends on where you land. You know, you can land on teams that don't know how to not put a square peg into a round hole. Uh, and those teams usually end up staying bad for long periods of time. Seattle, part of the reason why they're so good, despite having overall not the same talent, of a lot of other teams that win as many games as them is they're really good at using players for what they do well. And DK Metcalf is included in that. That's awesome. That's a great way to put it. Um, I want to talk about the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade. You're a Texans fan. 
And the minute that trade happened, I actually went on Twitter. I was like, what is Brett saying about this? I felt so bad for you. What was your reaction? What are your thoughts? I know we're late. I don't care. You're a Texans fan. Talk about the DeAndre Hopkins trade. It was soul shattering, (laughs) uh, to say the least, but also not surprising. Mm -hmm. Like, as, as sad as I was, I was not shocked because that's that's what Bill O'Brien does. Trades away Dwayne Brown, trades away Jadavian Clowney, trades away DeAndre Hopkins, signs Randall Cobb. <laughs> like that's that's what he is. Like he yeah. he wants control of this football team. If a player who deserves to be paid more, even when they sign a deal, you know, 2 years ago and you want them to wait their turn. If Bill gets mad at you because the market has shifted and you want to make money to match that market, with which DeAndre Hopkins did, um, he won't hesitate to get rid of you, even if it's to the detriment of the football team, because he just he, he that's how he runs his locker room. And there are a lot of other franchises that I think deal with disgruntled players better. Uh, mm-hmm. than Bill O'Brien does that I think are a little bit more understanding, a little bit more flexible. Um, he he just he doesn't handle individualistic players very well. And unfortunately for Houston, a lot of their best players were individualistic players. Um, do, you, do you think he's trying to be like Bill Belichick or is there? Yes, 100 yeah. yep. percent. Yeah, because Bill does the same thing. But the yep. problem is with the Patriots, their best players were really not into being super individualistic. Tom Brady, Devin McCourty, um, you know, Vince Wilfork, like all all these guys were always willing to take hits for the team, make sacrifices for the team. Um, and I, I think when it comes to a lot of the guys in Houston, you know, Dwayne Brown had very clear disagreements with ownership. He also wanted to be um, getting a long-term contract extension to make him one of the highest paid tackles, if not the highest paid tackle. And even though we had no backup plan, Again, Bill Bill O'Brien's not about that. Like he's going to get rid of you before he caves into that. You know, DeAndre Hopkins signed a deal two years ago. He's going to get rid of D Hop before he ever caves into demands to match the market. Um, the only real superstar player that they have on the roster that has continuously taken hits for the team like that is JJ Watt. You know, contractually mm-hmm. speaking, yeah, he's still not making anywhere near what he should be making, and he hasn't made anything what he sh- should be making for a long time now. Um, maybe he hopes Deshaun Watson's going to be the same thing when that contract negotiation comes up, but I don't think it will be. So that's going to be the ultimate test of, Bill, you can't keep expecting all your best players to just cave in every single time and not make what they're supposed to be making. Like that's, I understand that's how they did it in New England. That's not going to work anywhere else. So well, also, it, he's not Bill Belichick. That's part of the problem. And he's is, not Bill Belichick. Yeah, you know, he, part of the reason the players will fall in line and deal with that because they expect to go win Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas in the AFC South, even though Bill O'Brien wins the division four out of the last six years, the the Texans are the only team in that division to not make the AFC championship over that same time period. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's not Belichick and he's expecting the players to cave in and respect him like he is. And it's like, nah, dude, like you got to earn that. You got to get a Super mm-hmm. Bowl ring and then people take pay cuts, not the other way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as a Texans fan, you watched a lot of Jadavian Clowney and we, we talked on Twitter uh, on, uh, through DMs you said roughly that Jadavian Clowney is more of a Robin than a Batman you might not have an answer to this it's okay if you're like hey that's just what I saw then I don't have my notes why did you say that where does that come from it's it's kind of the notion of like okay who are the 
alpha predators in the NFL, you know, mm. the, the Batman of the league that are great pass rushers, great run defenders. They can cover a little bit if they need to, you know, depending on the position they play. Like that's when you start thinking, okay, Khalil Mack, great pass rusher, great run defender, can cover a little bit. Vaughn Miller, um, you know, Cam Jordan is great at everything. Obviously, you're not going to cover with him because he's 280, 290 pounds. But <laughs> yeah. uh, just in terms of super, super versatile. Um, and Javion Clowney, for as phenomenal a run defender as he is, uh, he's a very inconsistent pass rusher. I think he's really better as a blitzer when they would kind of move him over to Mike Linebacker and like attacking the center as a second level blitzer. He's better and more productive as a pass rusher in that kind of role and also on like stunts and games and stuff like that yeah. than just lining up against a left tackle and going to beat him. Like that's not mm-hmm. really what he does. He's great at stopping the run. He's great at lining up all over the front and kind of attacking as a blitzer. But if you're if you're looking at him versus Cam Jordan in terms of pure lineup one-on-one and whoop your ass as a pass rusher, he's not that guy. So he's a Robin to me rather than a Batman. A very good Robin, but still a Robin nonetheless. And I'm not going to pay him $20 million unless you are a guy like Khalil Mack or a guy like Cam Jordan yeah. that does everything. You talked about on Twitter your... You kind of connected some dots. I think maybe you had some sources, and then you combined it with some some thought. You talked about how John Gruden watched him in that game. I think it was the Outback Bowl, where it was South Carolina and Michigan, and he had that gigantic hit. Yep. Can you talk about John Gruden's affinity for Jadavian Clowney? Um, I, I think John Gruden, honestly, he sees the effort that Jadavian puts in on first and second down. Mm. Um and he knows that Javon Clowney is a hard worker. He's a good member of the locker room. Like he, he gets a bad rap for that for some reason. I still don't know why. He's he's had this reputation for quote unquote laziness even since coming out of South Carolina. But I've never really seen that in him. Uh, like yeah, there's a valid argument that he's never the healthiest guy. But in terms of like work ethic and all that, like I I don't have a problem with that. Um, so I think he's he's a hard worker, a great run defender. He's going to help them on first and second down. Um, he can help them on third down if they run a lot of stunts, games, blitzes. You can move them all over the front. He's played anything anything for like three tech, the wide nine, and been effective. So I think he sees a versatile piece that can come in, a veteran versatile piece at that, that can come in, um, be a good member of the locker room, work hard, and help their defense in multiple facets. Even if he's, again, not that kind of alpha predator um, he's still a valuable piece to any defense, whether it was Houston or Seattle. He was a valuable guy to have on the field. And I think John also just remembers the kind of impact that he can make, like on that forced fumble against Michigan. And that's always going to be in the back of his head. We know that Gruden is um, kind of an emotional coach in terms of the attachment that he builds with players that impress him. You know, mm-hmm. he's always going to go to bat for guys that make a huge play that he can think of in his mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, when he's evaluating guys, if, if there's like a signature play that's always in the back of his head, he's going to go to bat for you. And obviously that is for, for John with, with Jadavian. So I, I think he really wants Jadavian for all those reasons. I don't know if they're going to pay 20 million because Mike Mayock is the one controlling the purse strings. But if, if there's no other offers, I think there's a decent chance he ends up as a Raider. Mm, I love that. Um, I want to tell you something. I, I regret. There's a moment leading up to the draft where I saw something, and I didn't say it. I was a little bit afraid that if I came out and said it, I was going to get a lot of hate and be embarrassed. You know, people were going to get really mad at me if I said it, and I should have said it anyway. And then you came out and you said it, and I was like, dang it, I should have said that. You talked about Jalen Hurts and Justin Herbert. I watched the film. Justin Herbert really alarms me. 
And I think Jalen Hurts never got enough credit for the good plays he made. And I think a lot of people struggled to change their opinion of Jalen Hurts from Alabama to his final year at Oklahoma. Point blank, if you had to pick a guy, Jalen Hurts or uh, Justin Herbert, picking at that spot where the Chargers did, who would you have taken? Oh, like at sixth overall? Yeah. Oh, Jalen. Jalen. Like, I I didn't even... I wasn't even big on Jalen Hurts being a top 10 guy. Like, I thought he was going to be a first-round pick. Yeah. He ended up being a second-round pick, which a lot of people even then thought that that was too high. And I was like, oh, no, you don't understand. Like, this dude's good. Um, Like, I would have taken him in the first round. I wouldn't have taken him top 10, but it's not like it would have been egregious. uh, Yeah. Well, he lands, he lands, right? Whether he's 6 or 17. Yeah. And I felt like Hurts had a better chance of paying off the sixth pick than Herbert did. So if I was given a choice... Like my honestly, my ideal scenario would you take Isaiah Simmons at six, and then you get you get Jalen Hurts at the top of the second. Um, but if just given a choice between Hurts and and Herbert, I'm taking Hurts ten times out of ten. That's awesome. That's really uh, affirming what I uh, what I what I watched on film. You had a line too, I believe. You did this incredible video. I watched it after the draft. I couldn't bring myself to watch it before. I was just my ego got in the way. But you did this incredible video where you kind of did like a long two hour predictions video. Like you had whiskey and you're drinking the whole time. And you said a line about Jalen Hurts that I love so much where you said that people paid attention to his two or three bad throws and really like clung onto those really tightly and judged him for his bad throws and ignored his good. Whereas the opposite happened with Justin Herbert where people really clung on to his like three good throws and then ignored all his bad. The other like 29 other throws of the game. Is that you still feel that way? Is that what is, is am I am I quoting you correctly? Yeah, it's the same kind of thing where it's like people see him roll out to the right and hit this deep cross with this beautiful cannon for a throw (laughs) that is right on the boundary. And you're like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And I agree. That is amazing. But then on the next series, he'll throw an interception on smash snag against cover two, which should never, ever, 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 ever happen. Yeah. Or he'll just like a five or hitch out of bounds. And you're like, what the hell is that? Oh, my God. Or, or, you know, he'll throw his receivers into a big hit against Ashton Davis over and over and over again. And it's just people. OK, here's here's a stat for you that I somehow remembered after all these months. <laughs> um, so the highest percentage of screens ever thrown in the NFL history was last year by Kyler Murray at 18 percent. Justin Herbert had less than a 70 percent uh, completion percentage despite throwing screens 25% of the time. Oh, my gosh. Do you, do you know how unbelievably bad that is? People say, oh, he had like a 67% or whatever it was completion percentage. No, adjust it. It was like 25% of his throws were screens, and it's only 60. <laughs> what are you talking about? That is so bad. Yeah, it's it's so rough. So bad. I, I'm actually in Portland, Oregon. I'm, I get a lot of anger from people on the street, and it's like, well, look, I don't hate Justin Herbert. I've heard he's a really nice kid. I'm, I have nothing against him. I'm rooting for him. I don't know that he's going to work in the NFL, and I feel bad for like Chargers fans. Is that? Do you feel bad for San Diego? For like, now they're LA. It's so weird to me. I still can't. It's like what years now? And I still call them San Diego. Do you feel bad for the Chargers? How do you feel about the direction they're going in now that they have Herbert? I, on some level, I know that there were people in that building that were not down with this pick, mm. but I think they felt backed into a wall. Uh, it's a new stadium. They got to sell tickets. Phil's gone. Uh, you know, Taylor, as much as people like him as like, you know, the veteran backup journeyman that you all, everybody would love to have on the roster. Yeah. He's not going to sell tickets. No, uh, they they were going to spend the sixth overall pick on a quarterback. They were hoping to God that Tua fell. He didn't. Mm. I think they felt backed into a corner. And I think that 
on some level, they felt like a Herbert pick was more appetizing than a Hertz pick. I vehemently disagree with that. And I think there's probably people in the building that did too. But I think they felt backed into a corner. I think they felt they had to make that pick to generate excitement for the franchise. Um, I hope it works out. I hope that he's another one of those guys that rapidly develops at a pace that nobody could see coming, like Deshaun, you know, like Lamar, uh, like obviously Pat Mahomes. Um, but the likelihood of him developing like that when he started for four years at Oregon and we never saw that kind of development, uh, it's it's extremely low. Um, mm. You hope for the best, but I'm not expecting the best. That's why is it that LA seems to often have politics interfere with their their football decisions? Seems like it happens a lot in LA with both the Rams and the Char- uh, the Chargers. Because there's we have a lot of options for entertainment down here in Southern California. Yeah, uh, you have to you have to make splash moves. You know, you have to bring in LeBron to the Lakers. You have to bring in Dwight Howard. You have to trade for Kobe. Uh, you know, you have to recruit the best stars to make any waves at USC or UCLA. Mm. Uh, you, you have to win the Stanley Cup to even be on the radar as the Kings. You have to win the MLS Cup to be on the radar as the Galaxy. You know, the Dodgers made the World Series, um, and, and they're probably the only sports team that could even come close to to taking the spotlight a little bit from basketball. But even then, mm. you know, if they're not going to the World Series, like people in L.A., unless they're hardcore Dodger fans, are not really paying attention to baseball. Yeah. There's a lot of distractions. Like it's a basketball there. town. Yeah, it's a it's a basketball town, and even then, it's a fair weather uh, basketball mm-hmm. town, especially when you look at, at the Clippers. Just because there's a lot of entertainment options here. If the Lakers are bad, trust me. Like I used to work at, at at Sportsnet doing Laker highlights every single game. When the Lakers were bad, the ratings weren't that good, <laughs> and that's the freaking Lakers. So you have to make splash moves in the LA market just to get people to pay attention to yeah. you, let alone be committed to watching you. I saw a tweet you put out. By the way, I watched Kevin Love in high school because I, I grew up in the Portland area. He's from Lake Oswego. I actually watched him live when I was a kid. Uh, I saw a tweet you put out there that he played your high school uh, when you were... You, are you from the L.A. area? I guess where I'm going at. Because I saw that and made me wonder, are you from L.A. originally? So I'm from Orange County, which, you know, is like right next to L.A. Yeah. But it's I, I still probably like from downtown L.A. I live, I don't know, like 45 minutes away. Uh, I went to a high school called Modern Day. Yeah. Um, OK. Down wow. Here in Santa Ana, you know, football and everyone basketball. knows Modern really Day. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's a sports powerhouse. We had literally all five when, when Kevin Love came to play in a Nike tournament that Modern Day was hosting. Um, and I think it was on Fox Sports West at the time. Um, and. We had all five of our starting lineup. It was the number one basketball team in the country. All five were D1 commits. Uh, there was at least two guys in the Wear Twins that I know went to the NBA. A third might have. Wow. And Kevin Love walked in there and just absolutely <laughs> destroyed them. I mean, it was insane. Like, again, we were, it was modern day. We were used to beating the crap out of everybody, and Kevin Love's making everybody look like amateurs, which, to be fair, it's Kevin Love. Um, but at the time, like, we we didn't know what he was going to be. Mm. Uh, and then after that game, we're like, well, okay, that's an actual pro. You should have seen him dominate Oregon high schools because, like, we're not – Oregon and California have such a big disparity athletically. He just annihilated people like it was nothing. It just ran right through everybody. It was hilarious. Um, did you ever go back to modern day games? That's just a weird question. I, I would if I were you, but do you do you go? Do you ever go to that? Every now and then, I'll I'll go. It's cool. Um, mainly just because they got you know they got D one guys every single every year on that team. Year, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Especially you know the J T Daniels years. Mm. Uh, it, you know with the St. Brown brothers <laughs> and yeah. 
you know, a, a good chunk of, of those teams after I left are, are guys that I'm studying for the draft now. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Okay, I got a final question for you. I'm so I've taken up a bunch of your time. I know you got to work on film room and a bunch of stuff going on. Um, you're a draft wizard, in my opinion. I I cover quarterbacks. I think you know more about other positions. I just can never go into. And you are so stinking good at this. I mean, your predictions. I almost want to like tally how much you got right from your predictions to what actually happened in the draft. You did one thing that just blew my mind. You predicted that the Minnesota Vikings were going to draft. Jeff Gladney and I went how how does anyone that feels like just a shot in the dark for you but it's because you know your stuff really really well how did you know that they were going to pick Jeff Gladney it, it was kind of a combination of because you know when I do my mock drafts it's like mm. okay what would I do yeah if I was the GM I don't try to necessarily predict what a team's going to do it's more what would I do yeah because people make you dumb decisions predict. you can't equate for yeah and, and so I was like okay I know they need a corner like because they had to replace basically all of their corners mm. Um, and so I'm going to draft a corner that I know fits Mike Zimmer. Cause if I'm a general manager, I want to draft for what my coaches like to coach. So I want an older guy with more experience with scheme versatility because they run everything in Minnesota. It's not just, we're lining up, we're playing press, man. It's not just, we're, you know, playing zone. We're not doing all this bail. Like we're doing all of it. So I need a guy with, uh, I'll, I'll even say scheme versatility, versatility and mechanical versatility. So he can do everything from press to play off, you know, good zone awareness. He'll tackle, um, he'll play special teams. Like I, I need a really a jack of all trades mm. kind of corner that also has toughness and experience. That was Jeff Gladney. You know, he, he played press. Mm. He was ultra competitive. He played off. Really good zone awareness. You, you watch his game against Colin Johnson, the Texas game, where he followed Colin Johnson around, and that was a war. They targeted <laughs> him like 12 times, and he had like four or five passes defense. Um, so I, I guarantee you Mike Zimmer watched that game and was like, ah, that's my guy. Mm. I, he could have watched only one game and made the decision, and I think it was the Texas game because that was Jeff Gladdy in a nutshell. And he was on the board when I was mocking. I was like, this is the corner that fits him the best. It was either him or um, Damon Arnett were the two mm, I were yep. looking at them. And, and you like the thought, Arnett pick. I, I, I love the Arnett pick. People thought I was nuts for even putting him in the first round or even considering him in the first round. And I'm like, nah, like that's a boundary corner that excels in press, that really uh, is just physical as all hell, pushing guys into the boundary. Uh, Akuda got all the good press, but Arnett was damn near just as good. Uh, I, I think he's going to be great for the Raiders, and, and he was the only other guy I would have considered for, for Zimmer at that spot, but I just happened to think Gladney was a little bit more versatile, and so that's why I put him there. That's so awesome. Um, for, dude, you're prolific. I don't know how... Do you watch film? Like, Do you eat, sleep, and breathe, and just all you do is watch film? Because to do a full prediction episode for the NFL draft, you not only have to know the 32 players you chose, but know a bunch of, like, let's say... 30, 20 other players to know not to pick them as well. How, how do you, I don't even understand. And you don't have to like give away your secrets, but I just am in awe of you. It's so impressive how much film you watch. Is that, is my impression correct? I, I got through probably about a hundred players with full grades oh and God. then kind of like minor watchings here and there just to jot down some notes mm. on, on probably about 50 others. Yeah. Uh, my podcast partner, EJ, uh, Actually, I probably did about 50 to 75 others. My pod, my podcast partner, EJ, is the one who really grinds. I mean, he looks at everybody. He watched a lot more guys than I did. 
That's uh, awesome. Just because I, you know, I got to spend time making episodes and writing yeah. scripts and everything like that, where he's just film, 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 film. And so, I mean, <laughs> he's a robot. I swear to God. Yeah. So I, I lean, I leaned on him a lot for the day three guys, uh, just because he's he watched all of them. And, mm. you know, he, he, that's why he loved the Seahawks draft so much. Well, not the early part, but at least the day three work they did because he knew all those guys. And he's like, OK, that's a value. That's a value. That's a value. That's a value. They do that every uh, year. Seattle yeah. does that consistently. If they just traded their first three rounds and just <laughs> accumulated 20 picks round four and later, they'd be great. Yeah, it seems like it. Uh, you remember the Bruce Irvin pick? Oh, my God. That's horrible. They And what's what's funny is... Yeah, even though Bruce Irvin never really justified the 16th mm. overall pick, they still did a lot better with him than a lot of the players that went after him. <laughs> That's fair. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I mean, I had somewhere I was going to go. I can't remember what I was going to say. I, I'm so impressed by you. I think, oh, here's my final question. I'm so sorry. I, I don't edit my film. I, sorry, I edit my own film analysis videos because I can't imagine giving it someone else. Because there's so much trust required that they're going to put the right thing on screen at the right time while you're talking what you're talking about. You edit your own stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I do all the writing, all the vocals, all the editing, all the thumbnails, all of it. hundred percent. Watching film is so much work. And then making the video is another crazy, laborious task. Compiling the film, finding what you're going to put in there and then editing it, organizing everything. I, I'm so impressed with what you do. You're so good at your job. And uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Brett Coleman's edit, I believe you called it Th- uh, Fury Road. Holy F, man, that oh, it yeah. gave me goosebumps when I watched it. I, I, that was the first time I ever talked to. Him. I was like, "This guy's video is unbelievable." It was so cool. That that still to this day is I think the most fun <laughs> I ever had making a video was oh. that because it was it was just like a fifteen minute just <laughs> banger of a, yeah. of a music video set to the Mad Max soundtrack, and I I, I loved making that thing. I want to make another one. That's cool, Brett. Thank you so much for your time. I am I forever a fan of yours. If you ever need anything, let me know. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Go listen to the Bootleg Football Podcast. And I want people to hear, so I want you to hear me say this too. I'm a fan of the way you carry yourself. I love everything you do on social media. Um, I think you've got really good ideas, not only about football, but about life. And I just am so, um, even like the, the Bootleg Football Podcast, it's fun to hear about more than football from you a little bit, like an insight, a little sliver into your life. It's so cool. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Take care, man. And uh, hope to talk soon. All right, guys, that's all I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I want to end the show the same way I always do, which is to say that a little over four years ago, my younger brother took his life. And when that happened, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one is that if you're struggling, please go get help. Uh, my little brother suffered in silence. He really never asked for help. And so I encourage you, if you're struggling, please go get help. Talk to a teacher or a counselor or a professor or a friend of yours. And if you really have nobody, if you really have no one to help you as a last resort, You can call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255. I encourage you, if you're struggling, please go get help. And then the other lesson I learned that my brother died was that uh, do, you know, tell your friends you love them. Tell the people in your life you care about them. Make it clear to them that if they're struggling, they can come talk to you. And I just encourage everyone, man, tell the people in your life you love them. Give them hugs. Tell them you care about them. Your brother, your sister, your teacher, your coach your girlfriend, your mom, your dad, tell the people in your life how much they mean to you. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. And uh, ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done.